We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. For over 45 years, Patagonia has committed to taking responsibility for their impact on the environment by pioneering sustainable practices and inspiring other businesses to do the same. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. Patagonia, in business to save our home planet. Join us. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer, with additional support from Kuat Racks, Because You Love Your Bike, and Kicking Horse Coffee. Wake up and kick ass. About the second week in October, it starts getting dark here in Seattle. I mean, yes, the sun sets every night, but what I mean is that darkness becomes a presence in my life. Or at least, I really begin to notice it. My evening run ends in dark. It's harder for me to get out of bed. It starts to set the rhythm of my days. Typically, the climbing gear goes away for the season. It's dark, so I stay inside. And that is kind of... Well, it's kind of lame. So last year, after years of thinking about it, I finally bought a set of high-powered bike lights. They are blinding. Like, seriously, I think the package is a kajillion lumens or something like that. They're bright. They're bright enough that I feel comfortable going pretty fast downhill. It's not like in the daylight, but it's pretty fast. It's pretty good. I tried to talk my other friends into purchasing a set. I told them, it's awesome. It's great. Nobody believed me. Nobody thought it was a good idea. Nobody bought any lights. Maybe it was the uptick in cougar attacks. So I started going alone. It did the trick, but not how I expected. I mean, yes, I was getting out of the woods. Yes, I was getting the much-loved exercise when I would have normally been asleep or cracking a beer to watch Netflix. But there was something deeper, something more primal about tearing through empty forests in the dead of night. Something that surprised me. Something that kind of made me nervous. It was like I was cheating something and getting away with it. Every time. It was mountain biking through the first 15 minutes of a horror movie. I could sense the dread, but my ride finished up before anything bad could happen. Honestly, I felt a little more calm when I'd go into work the next morning. A little more awake, despite the lack of sleep. A little more grateful for that 10.30 conference call. I mean, why not? Because i just spent an hour and a half feeling like prey. I wondered if anyone else on the conference call had spent the pre-dawn hours feeling like a glowworm on the end of a hook cast into a sea of trees. I kept going. I started going in windstorms just to hear the trees moan and the ankle bone snap of falling limbs. I rode through blankets of freezing fog that smothered sound. Once through the distance, I saw a flicker of a moving light. I might as well have been chanting Candyman, Candyman over and over to conjure up some terrible monster. I was a tale of terror waiting to happen. One night, I just turned off the lights altogether and rode in utter darkness. I let it wash over me.
then I hit a tree. Today, we present our annual Tales of Terror. Cloaked figures, disembodied footsteps, not being able to find the car while somebody or something follows you. Embrace the darkness. I'm Fitzko Hall. You're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Happy Halloween. My fiance Melissa and I often spend our weekends backpacking or running on the trails that stretch from the Monterey Peninsula down the central coast of Big Sur and deep into the Ventana wilderness. Last summer, on 4th of July weekend, Melissa's best friend Jeff and his partner David came to visit us from LA. We were excited to introduce them to backpacking. Big Sur is a popular destination, so hoping to avoid the crowds, I chose a trail that I knew would be lightly trafficked. We also chose to start later in the day to avoid the brutal heat that gripped the central coast. Timbertop is a steep six mile out and back trail that begins on the edge of Highway 1 on the Big Sur coast. This trek is not for the faint of heart. It climbs a dizzying 3,000 feet in three miles on sun bleached trails with no switchbacks. The prize at the top is a charming stand of trees and a flat field big enough for a handful of tents. We drove for about an hour. The cool coastal breeze clashed nicely with the oppressive heat radiating off the bone-dry hills. We took turns boasting to Jeff and David about the views from the campsite and how, if we were lucky, we may even be able to see the green flash above the sea. By my calculations, it would take us a little over an hour to hike from the car to the summit. That would leave us plenty of time to enjoy the last rays of sunlight high on the ridge. By seven o'clock, we heaved on our packs and crossed the highway to begin our ascent. It looked like the trail had not seen a hiker in weeks. The brush had grown in thick on both sides, encroaching inch by inch onto the worn path. It's always like this in the beginning, I reassured our friends, who by now had a slightly less than jovial edge to their voices. The truth was that I had never seen the trail so overgrown. The heat, combined with our packs and the brush, made our journey a slow one. Carefully, we elbowed through poison oak-laced ivy and low-hanging branches, climbing higher and higher as the sounds of civilization faded away below. After a little over an hour of bushwhacking, the trail steepened sharply and the vegetation began to recede, dumping us out onto exposed single track that seemed impossibly steep. I turned to see my party down the trail, packs off and sweating in the summer heat. I thought to myself, this may not have been the best trail to take two first-time backpackers on. The sun withered on the horizon. There was no way that we would get to the campsite in the light. We stopped again three quarters of a mile before the summit and fished out our headlamps. 
the sky darkened by the second as the lip of the sun quivered on the horizon before slipping below. A pregnant silence replaced the carefree attitude of our road trip as we all flicked on our lights and continued marching up the trail. Half an hour later, the trail flattened out and a small grove of trees stood silhouetted against the twilight. We had arrived at Timbertop. My headlamps scanned the wild landscape. Something looked wrong. The metal signpost declaring this a campsite lay uprooted on its side in the middle of the site. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. As I panned the beam of my headlamp, I noticed a heavy imprint in the soil where its concrete base had been dragged across the dirt. I tried to sound relieved when I announced that we had the entire place to ourselves, just like I said we would. The air hung thick with fatigue as we set up our tents and sleeping bags in complete darkness. Abandoning the festive night that we had planned earlier in the car, we crawled into our tents, exhausted and sore, and drifted into sleep. I groggily opened my eyes and checked my watch. 1.56 a.m. I adjusted my sleeping bag and rolled over, just as the sound of footsteps reached my ears. Jeff and David's tent was only a few feet away, and given how much water we all drank on the climb up to camp, it was no surprise that someone was up peeing in the middle of the night. I closed my eyes and attempted to fall back asleep. The footsteps stopped. For a moment, all was quiet in the camp. Then, the footsteps returned. This time, instead of fading away, they sounded as if they were moving closer and closer to our tent. Is someone arriving at the campsite late? Are they looking for a place to set up their tent for the night? My mind whirred frantically. Now, the footsteps were directly outside of our rainfly. Again, they stopped. Slowly, the steps began to circle our tent. Heavy, deliberate boots in sandy soil sounded from my side to Melissa's side and then back again. Paralyzed, I reached for my buck knife, only to remember that I'd forgotten it back in the car along the highway, miles away. I lay unmoving as the rhythmic marching continued in the darkness. Pass after pass, the footsteps circled our tent as Melissa slept peacefully. After what seemed like an eternity, the footsteps changed direction and began to fade away and the silence of the wilderness roared back in. I settled into a restless sleep. The next morning in our tent, I told Melissa about the footsteps and the creepy pacing I had heard the night before. She assured me that, for once, she had gotten a decent night's sleep camping, and not only had she not heard anything, but she was certain that my imagination had played a trick on me. As we began to break down camp, I asked Jeff and David cautiously, Did one of you get up in the middle of the night and walk over to our tent? No, David exclaimed, his eyes looking wide. 
I was going to ask you the same thing. I thought that was you walking around camp late last night. It wasn't me, I stammered, recounting my experience. Nervously, we looked at each other and then around the tents. No footprints, no frantic pacing, no boot prints. Nothing was out of the ordinary. Nothing but the uprooted sign. In a hurried silence, we packed up our gear and left the stand of trees, quickly descending down the trail without looking back all the way down to the highway. Once we got back to the car, Jeff turned to me and said, I think David and I are more car camping people. This story was from Ryan Cronin. Thanks for sharing. Next, we have a story from Natalie Rooker. (laughs) It was late August, the hottest time of the year in Austin. While people in other states began donning jackets, I continued to sweat in sticky humidity and 100 plus degree heat. Needless to say, August is not climbing season in Austin. Still, my friends and I weren't about to give up our favorite sport for an entire season, so we took to climbing at night. The temperatures still hung in the 90s after sundown, but the slimestone, as we lovingly called the polished rock at our local crag, seemed at least a little less slippery in the dark. On this particular evening, my friends were ready to pack up before me. Another climbing group offered to let me join them, so I stayed another hour and checked off a few more routes before deciding it was time for me to head out too. I said goodbye to my new friends and began the short hike back to the neighborhood street where I'd parked. I crossed the dry creek bed, which hadn't held water since the last rain in May, and studied the tree line on the opposite bank. Was my path the trail to the left or the one to the right? I'd climbed at the crag several times, but I had never approached or left the wall on my own, always content to mindlessly follow my partners. My headlamp beam danced back and forth as I surveyed each path. Finally, I settled on the left and began walking. I continually scanned the trees and the ground ahead, cautious of loose rocks, tree roots, and overhanging branches crossing my path. 10 minutes in, I began to feel nervous. The trek up to the entrance of the Greenbelt is very short. I should have been back at my car already. I paused, scanning my surroundings. My eyes locked onto the tree immediately ahead. Hadn't I seen it before? Its two nearest branches crossed over one another again and again. Was I walking in circles? I nearly jumped when I sensed movement in my periphery, but my heart rate slowed again as I saw a toad nestled at the bottom of the tree its heavy gaze studying me. Embarrassed by my silly overreaction, I shook off my nerves and assured myself that I was wrong. I must have found a similar tree and surely I was nearly back to the street. Several more minutes passed. A lump rose in my throat as I turned a gentle curve and saw the tree with the twisted branches again. No fooling myself this time. It was clear that I was circling the same path. 
I stood still. I tried to list options, reasons, anything. Instead, my brain ran through a series of terrible potential outcomes. I envisioned myself circling the trail forever, destined to haunt the next poor hiker who turned down this cursed path. I imagined that someone, or something, was watching me, waiting to make its move. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and counted backwards from 10. The only solution I could think of, start backtracking. I couldn't remember seeing a single offshoot to the trail, but I hoped that I had somehow missed a turnoff. My body desperately wanted to run up the trail so that I could get out of the darkness folding in around me. I slowed my gait and swung my light back and forth, searching for another path. I had moved 20 feet from the tree when I heard something, barely perceptible over the sound of my own throbbing pulse. The sound of breathing, soft and raspy, coming from directly behind me. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. I stopped and turned. My headlamp illuminated an empty trail behind me. The breathing disappeared. Terrified, I turned and kept walking. 10 feet down the trail, it started again. This time I heard footsteps, heavy as they pounded on the loose rocks and dirt. I took off running. The footsteps followed in pursuit, matching my stride. Their impact shook the ground and the volume of the raspy breathing became deafening, echoing off the trees and rocks surrounding me, screaming into my ears. I sprinted, frantically pushing branches off of my face as I tore down the trail. Suddenly, my foot caught on a root and I fell, sprawled on the trail. Eerie silence surrounded me. No insect sounded. No footsteps, no breathing. I slowly sat up, turning to illuminate the trees and rocks around me. No one. As I completed the circle with my light, I noticed a small path. Without a second thought, I got to my feet and ran down the path. Then I heard screaming. unearthly, deafening, screaming. It filled the space behind me. I almost fell again on the trail. This time, I didn't look back. I sprinted with every ounce of energy I had. After only a few minutes, the scenery around me began to look more familiar. Relieved, I realized that I had taken the correct trail. Five minutes later, I sat behind the wheel of my locked car trying to calm my shaking hands enough to drive. I'm still not sure where I went that night. I've never seen that trail again, and I've never looked for it. All right. Grab your favorite teddy bear, hold a friend's hand. If you're on the road, hang on to that steering wheel tight. We've got one more terrifying tale from Bryce Williams after a break. 
Support for the Diaries comes from the good people at Patagonia. They've just re-released their award-winning film, Damn Nation. The documentary explores the shift in perspective from viewing big dams as engineering wonders towards the growing awareness that our future is closely tied to the health of our rivers. Directors Ben Knight and Travis Rummel deliver a thought-provoking film. It's awesome and funny. Kaylee is my favorite part of it. Watch Damnation for free on Patagonia's YouTube channel or at patagonia.com slash films. Enjoy. Additional support for the diaries comes from Kicking Horse Coffee. Their founders dreamed of waking up the world with 100% organic, 100% fair trade coffee. So they roasted small batches of beans in their garage and hand-delivered coffee from the back of a station wagon. 20 years later, the garage is a little bit bigger and there's a lot more beans, but Kicking Horse Coffee remains committed to the same good values. Dream, then do. Find it at Amazon or kickinghorsecoffee.com. And support comes from Kuat Racks, who have been with us for over a decade. Kuat began as an idea for a better way to transport bikes in 2008 and has evolved into a thriving company that creates high-end and awesomely engineered hitch racks, roof racks, and accessories that push the envelope of innovation. Kuat, because you love your bike. After a long week and getting out of work late on Friday, I rush home to grab a quick bite and change my clothes before heading out again. I live a few miles from the heart of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park, with tons of trails to test my runner's endurance. By the end of the summer, I worked up to a decent pace for a respectable distance. I was chasing sunlight, speeding into the CVNP. I decided to go to my favorite trail. I know it like the back of my hand, so I'd be able to avoid the obstacles that linger under the first fall leaves and the shadows of the sunset trickling through the canopy. In the parking lot, an older couple passed me as I did a quick stretch. Looking up, I asked, How y'all doing tonight? The man replied, Howdy, you better get a move on or it's going to get dark on you. His hiking partner picked up his sentence and said, The woods can be a little scary in the dark. The man added, especially on nights like tonight. Right, I thought, Friday the 13th. I laughed uneasily. You two have a good night now, I said to the couple as they slammed their car doors. Now my car sat alone in the gravel lot. I wouldn't be running into anyone else on the trail tonight. I picked a playlist, turned on my tracker, and started into the darkening woods. Soon I was surrounded with the songs of cicadas and crickets, the sounds of squirrels scrambling through the underbrush, the gushing of the Cuyahoga River traveling downstream, and the motivational beats coming from the speaker on my phone. A few miles in, the setting sun turned the woods into a strange orange haze. The harvest moon peeked through the trees. I'm not much for superstition, but the way the elderly couple warned me about the woods at dark baited my imagination. Full moons do bring out the weirdos. So does Friday the 13th. My feet move faster over the dirt trail. I tried to brush off every horror movie I've ever seen flooding my mind. I mean, come on, I'm six foot three, 200 some odd pounds. I'd be the last person somebody would want to mess with. 
right? As I neared the end of the loop, the moon was my only source of illumination. With trees zooming past, my eyes started to play tricks on me. My heart rate became harder to control. I pushed up a hill to a break in the woods and landed in an old field reclaimed by wildflowers, tall grass, and young trees. I caught my breath, glad to be out of the woods that seemed to be coming to life around me. The trail was empty ahead. A cold wind rushed from the woods behind me. Time to finish up, I thought. Pounding downhill, I dropped my guard as I approached the last leg of tonight's run. A rabbit darted from the tall grass across the trail, startling me. I looked left to see where the furry friend went. In that split second of taking my eyes off the trail, I stumbled over a rock and skidded to a stop on my hands and knees. Upset with myself, I made sure everything still functioned. Back on my feet, I looked up. On what moments before had been an empty trail, now stood a tall, black figure, 25 feet in front of me in the middle of the path. I turned my music off. That's when I realized the cicadas and the crickets had gone silent. The scurrying squirrels, too. Someone doing a full moon night hike, I figured. I jogged forward towards the figure. The orange moon illuminated the figure as I got closer, 20 feet away. I could see the figure had a long, hooded coat on. 15 feet away, the figure was going the same way I was, but traveling at an abnormally slow pace, like it was floating. 10 feet away, my heart pounded through my chest. I opened my mouth to say the classic runners, on your left, but nothing came out. I swallowed and forced the words out. The figure stopped, but it didn't move to the side of the trail. It just froze in the middle of the path. I couldn't feel my heartbeat anymore. The top of the hood had to be a half a foot above my own head. It felt like I was being pulled into the blackness. I was within arm's length of this lifeless figure. The quickest way back to the safety of my car was in front of me. But that meant I would have to pass. Before I could decide what to do, my legs pulled me past the figure, stepping off the trail in fear of getting too close. I didn't dare look back at whatever I just passed. Even if I tried, I don't think my body would have let me. I nearly sprinted the last quarter mile. I hardly slowed down when I hit the gravel lot and dashed to my parked car, still sitting alone. I jumped in, locked the doors, turned the key, and reversed out of the parking space. Then I stopped, shining my headlights towards the trailhead, waiting to see if the black hooded figure would appear. I sat, looking at the trailhead for what felt like an hour, but nothing came out of the wooded darkness. So I drove towards the main road. I pulled up to the edge of the gravel parking lot and paused to look in my rearview mirror. At the edge of the red taillight glow stood the figure.
Thank you, Ryan, Natalie, and Bryce for sharing your spooky tales. We love, absolutely love, putting together this episode and so appreciate everyone who submitted a story. There are some great ones. Music today from Kai Engel, Aiden Baker, David Beard, and Cloud9. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. We're accepting short submissions through the end of October. If you have a story that you would like to share, type it up and send it to editor at ducttapethinbeard.com. You can find more info on our website under the tab, Write For Us. We're looking forward to reading them. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars and Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Happy Halloween. I'm having fun doing this. Ha, 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 ha.